This is VOA News reporting by remote. I'm Michael Brown. Britain's Conservative Party is now looking for a new leader. AP correspondent Charles De La Desma reports. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. Trust quid after a meeting with Graham Brady, a senior Conservative lawmaker who oversees leadership challenges. Brady was tasked with assessing whether the Prime Minister still has the support of Tory members of Parliament, and it seemed she did not. Conservative lawmaker Miriam Cates says it's time for the Prime Minister to go. She isn't up to the job, sadly. Lawmakers' anger grew after a Wednesday evening vote over fracking for shale gas, a practice that Trust wants to resume despite Despite opposition from many Conservatives, the debate produced chaotic scenes in Parliament. Charles de la Desma, London. U.S. President Joe Biden on Thursday called British Prime Minister Truss, later telling reporters she was a good partner in supporting Ukraine to defend itself against Russian aggression. Biden declined to weigh in on her resignation. The president did add that the British are going to solve their problem. Biden dismissed any potential spillover effects from the political turmoil of the United States' oldest ally. Truss stepped down after her unfunded tax-cutting agenda crashed the British pound, raising borrowing costs and triggered financial market turmoil. As always, for details on much more news, we invite you to join us at our website. That is voanews.com. Also, on the VOA mobile app via remote. This is VOA News. The U.S. military says it has proof that the Iranian forces are on the ground in Crimea supporting the Russian military attacks against Ukrainian targets. AP correspondent Jackie Quinn reports. Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder says they have evidence Iranian forces were involved in the drone attacks on Ukraine's power stations and other key infrastructure. We continue to see Iran uh, be complicit in terms of exporting terror. Uh, not only in the Middle East region, but now also to Ukraine. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says the Russian military would need Iran's help with the drones, which he says were made in Iran. It follows that they would need a little training on how to pilot these things. Tehran continues to deny that its forces have been in Crimea supporting Russian drone attacks, to which the Pentagon responds. It's obvious that they're um, uh, lying. Jackie Quinn, Washington. Ukraine is restricting power use Thursday in response to Russian attacks that damage parts of the country's electrical infrastructure. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky urged people to conserve energy. In an address on late Wednesday, he said the government was working to create mobile power supply points for critical infrastructure in cities and villages. Ukraine's power grid operators said supply restrictions would be in place from 7 a.m. until 11 p.m., and that, as the colder months approach, it may need to take such steps again in the future. A panel of virus vaccine experts has voted to add COVID shots to recommend vaccination, recommended vaccinations, that is. AP correspondent Norman Hall has that story. A panel of vaccine experts says COVID-19 shots should be added to the list of recommended vaccinations for kids and adults panel's unanimous decision has no immediate effect. COVID-19 shots are already recommended for virtually all Americans. 
Rather, it would put the shots on the annually updated formal list of what vaccinations doctors should be routinely offering to their patients, alongside shots for polio, measles, and hepatitis. The expert panel's decisions are almost always adopted by the CDC director and then sent to doctors as part of the government's advice on how to prevent disease. I'm Norman Hall. The Dominican Republic has approved a request by a trading firm to export more than 20,000 gallons of diesel to Haiti for use principally in hospitals, according to letters seen by Reuters, as gangs continue blocking a key fuel terminal in Haiti. For more news, please join us at our website, voanews.com, also on the VOA mobile app. I'm Michael Brown, reporting by remote, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barton in Washington. Today is Friday, October 21st. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Chadian military and police allegedly killed several peaceful protesters on Thursday. The purpose of the protest session is to ask the gentle military group to completely leave power and hand it over to civilian as they promised not only to the nation of Chad, but to the international community. Nigerian activists say police brutality continues two years after massive protests. Human rights activists are at risk in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Kenya's President William Ruto promises to boost food production in Heroes Day address to the nation. Malawi police exhume bodies of 25 Ethiopians in a mass grave. We found the phone SIM card bearing the country Ethiopia. So that gave us a basis to conclude that these were Ethiopians. And our fourth of ten profiles of finalists in the first annual Africa Digital Innovation Competition for the continent's startups. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley Sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Chad, an official of the opposition Transformers Party, says the country under the leadership of Mohammed Idris Deby is a wild west, a reference to the early settlement of the Western United States when lawlessness reigned. Undulambai Jasida, vice president for political affairs in the diaspora, says Chadian military and police killed several peaceful opposition and civil society protesters on Thursday, leaving many wounded and an unknown number under arrest. Jasida tells me that the protesters were demanding and will continue to demand that the military honor its 2021 commitment to return the country to democratic rule, which was supposed to have been yesterday, October 20th. Political party and civil society have called for a pacific protest October 20th against uh, the junta because according to what the junta has said on October 21st of 2021, saying that after 18 months of uh, transition, they will hand the power to the civilian. However, we just realized that about 10 days ago, we still have the head of the junta in power and the population asking him to leave the power to a civilian in order to, to organize the election. And for that reason, civil society groups and many political parties have called the militant to protest. And during that protest, the military fire real bullets on people uh, along with uh, tear gases. And in the city of Mundu, as of now, there were about 14 people killed and uh, over 33 wounded. Nobody has a clear number of people who 
are arrested yet. In Doba also, there are people killed. We're waiting for uh, official numbers, as well as in Kumra. In Jalena, we have a lot of people killed. I would say at least 50, but we're still waiting for the official numbers. It's really a wild west happening right now in the country of Chad. If I understand you correctly, the purpose of your protest is to what? Force the military junta to come back to the original timetable for transition? Yes, uh, the purpose of the protest session is to ask the gentle military group to completely leave power and hand it over to civilians as they promised, not only to the nation of Chad, but to the international community. However, that's not what had happened. You said the military killed protesters on Thursday. We have no evidence to disprove that because we haven't talked to the government. Now, my understanding is that uh, protests are banned. Is that right? Protests are not banned. You need proof. We have videos and pictures to send it to you as a proof, if that's what you need. As we said, the picture is more than 1,000 words, so I can make those things available to you. They have no constitutional right to ban a pacific protestation, manifestation of the desire of people to take to the street and express their dissatisfaction of what's going on. That is the human right. It's a universal. Anywhere in the world when people don't agree with something, they protest. I understand uh, Chad has a new prime minister. What do you make of the change? We have a problem in a division, like in middle school, when you learn about division, you know that if the denominator is zero, regardless of what the numerator is, the outcome is still the same. So changing the prime minister is not the solution. The solution is for the gender to leave power. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, Chen. Jasida is Vice President for Political Affairs and the Diaspora of Chad's Opposition Transformers Party. You're speaking with us from Atlanta, Georgia. Police in northern Malawi are investigating the death of 25 male foreigners believed to be Ethiopians found buried in a mass grave in a forest in Mzimba district. Police say villagers discovered the month-old mass grave in the forest while hunting wild insects. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The preliminary investigation on the deceased shows that all of them are Ethiopian nationals. Peter Galaya is spokesperson for Malawi Police Service. We found two temporary traveling documents that indicated the names and um, nationalities of these, these people. Again, we found phone SIM cards bearing the country Ethiopia. So having prior knowledge that most of the illegal migrants we intercept are from Ethiopia, that gave us a basis to conclude that these were Ethiopians. Kalaya says the month old mass grave was discovered by villagers who were hunting for wild insects in the Ntangatanga Forest Reserve. He told VOA Thursday that the medical experts were still conducting an autopsy on the bodies to establish the cause of the death. He says arrangements are being made about where to rebury the dead bodies. At the moment, we are strategizing because there is a procedure that has to be followed. These are foreign nationals, and uh, we'll just follow those procedures that are available. Uh, because the bodies are in a decomposed state, uh, so we'll see what to do after everything is done. Police on Thursday found another grave in a forest reserve, this one containing four bodies. The nationalities of the deceased from this grave were not immediately known. Malawi is a transit route for foreigners, especially Ethiopians, who are trafficked through Malawi and route to South Africa. These people mostly use uncharted routes and sometimes find refuge in forests as they plan their next step. 
For example, police in Karunga district said Thursday they are interrogating 72 Ethiopians. They arrested Wednesday after they were found loitering in the forest. Police spokesman George Mulewa said the Ethiopians are being held on charges of illegal entry, adding that 10 Malawians have been charged with assisting them. As of now, we are trying to probe more from them so that we should know why they are coming in from their respective home and at the same time hiding in the bush, which is a threat to us as Malawians as well as themselves because we have been hearing people are dying in the bushes. The governments of Malawi and Ethiopia, with support from the International Organization for Migration, have been repatriating Ethiopians arrested for illegal entry. Critics of the government blame the situation on Malawi's porous borders. Lamik Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. Activists in Nigeria say despite widespread protests two years ago to disband the police, controversial special anti-robbery squad, also known as SARS, police brutality in the country is far from gone. On Thursday, yesterday, hundreds gathered at the Lekki toll gate to hold a memorial procession for protesters killed there on October 20th, 2020. But they say police operatives still tried to forcefully disperse them. Timothy Obiazu reports from Abuja. On this day two years ago, Nigerian streets were filled with young protesters chanting at the top of their voices for authorities to put an end to what they called systemic police brutality. Swando Oshio was one of the protesters in the capital, Abuja. But long after the mass protests ended with a deadly shooting in Lagos the night of October 20, Oshio says he has been constantly harassed by agents. He says the most recent incident was about three months ago. I remember very well. After the answers, I still encountered police brutality together with a friend. A policeman approached us and seized our phone and said we are frosters and that we should settle him or he's going to take us to their office. He also made a comment that he's going to destroy our careers. The SARS unit was notorious for arresting people on questionable grounds and extorting, beating and killing those it took into custody. The Lekki has become historic in Nigeria and for many protesters like Lagos-based lawyer Kenneth Collins Ajago, it bears the hallmark of pain and injustice. Amnesty International said up to 12 protesters were killed by Nigerian security forces at the toll gate and that many of the deaths were reported nationwide. Nigerian authorities set up investigative panels to look into claims of brutality and to compensate victims. But not everyone has been compensated. Ajago said he was lucky to leave the venue when he did. The day the killing happened, I was there till around 12 in the afternoon before I left and it was still a peaceful. Then everybody just got out, music being played, we continue what had happened. Everybody's still traumatized. On Thursday, hundreds of NSARS protesters converged at the toll gate to remember colleagues killed there and hold a procession as a sign of respect. But they say heavily armed police officials fired tear gas to disperse the procession. Police authorities have not responded to the claims. But human rights activist Aisha Yusufa says... It shows the high level of impunity by officials. I went online and the first thing I see is that people who had gone to commemorate the day were being tear gassed. It just shows how much regard they have for citizens. They don't care. 
the Nigerian government announced the disbandment of SARS many times in the past, including in the wake of massive protests in October 2020. But it's hard for many citizens like Oshir and Ajagu to believe the squads no longer exist. Timothy Obizu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. You are listening to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Butte in Washington. Today is Friday, October 21st. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. Kenya's President William Ruto has promised to tame the high cost of food by improving crop production. Speaking during his first national holiday address on Mashuja, or Heroes Day yesterday, Thursday, Ruto said that climate change has contributed to severe drought in semi-arid areas where millions of people and animals have been affected. Maureen Ojiambo reports from Nairobi. Mashuja Day, also known as Heroes Day, is a national holiday in Kenya observed in honor of freedom fighters who struggled for the country to gain independence from colonial rule. This is the first national holiday addressed by President William Ruto in an event that was not well attended by Kenyans. Speaking in Nairobi, Ruto said that the day is an indication of how far the country has come from 59 years later. We solemnly observe this important day every year in order for us to reflect upon where we have come from as a nation. We mark this day to consider the troubled road we trod through, the sorrowful wilderness of cruel colonial injustice, and the price that we paid in blood, toil, anguish, and death for us to be a free people. With the country experiencing severe drought and hunger, the president promised to tame the high cost of food. He says the country is concerned about climate change and the effect it has on the communities living in arid and semi-arid areas. Our pastoralist communities have experienced scarcity of pasture due to prolonged drought, the worst in 40 years. As a result, we have lost 2.5 million heads of livestock owing to this very severe drought. Rising food prices have made an already bad situation worse. Communities in rural and urban areas across the country are equally struggling under the weight of high food prices. The government of Kenya has taken necessary personnel reforms in the security service. Ruto says in some parts of Kenya there is a threat to personnel safety and security and life expectancy is low. They too deserve to live and work in safety and dignity and to pursue happiness without let or hindrance. And yet, terrorists, bandits, cattle rustlers, and all manner of violent criminals have held them back, extinguishing or deferring for far too long, too many hopes and dreams as the rest of the country makes progress. As a way of addressing the impacts of drought, Kenya plans to plant a billion trees in the next five years and an additional 10 billion trees between the year 2027 and 2032. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jumbo in Nairobi, Kenya. 
In the Democratic Republic of Congo, military rule in the eastern part of the country has put human rights defenders at risk of imprisonment. In addition to political pressure, death threats prevent them from doing their work. From Goma, Zaneb Neti Zaide has this report. Suzuki Kisuki is a young woman and a human rights activist in the city of Goma, but her activity endangers her own security, as she explains. She says that in the Democratic Republic of Congo, to denounce something is to threaten the interests of certain people. That's why she says she lives with a sense of risk. She can be arrested at any time. Suzuki Suki is a member of the non-violent pressure group Veranda Mutanga or Fighters for Change. Despite the threats she regularly receives and the risk she has to take to do her work, she refuses to give up. She says that when she denounces but thinks and feels in danger, she does not think of giving up the fight because she dreams of seeing a new Congo. She calls other women to get involved in human rights because, according to her, their activists can move the country, move forward. The provinces of North Kivu and Ituri in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo are under a state of siege and activist Jacques Sinzaera says since the beginning in May 2021, political pressure on human rights defenders has increased. He recalls that when he launched a public education campaign on the rights and obligations of people in one of the towns in the region, the mayor of the town and the commander of the local police hunted him down and threatened him with death. A recent report highlights the increasing criminalization of the activities of human rights defenders. Activist Vikar Batundi says the study offers recommendations to enable activists and civil society actors to do their work safely. He asks the Congolese parliament to accelerate the adoption of the proposed law on the protection of human rights defenders in the DRC. I'm Zanem Netizaidin Goma for VOA News. The U.S. Africa Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is holding its first Africa Digital Innovation Competition for Africa Startups. VOA is working as a media partner with the Africa Business Center on the initiative. Out of 17,000 candidates in 50 countries in Africa, the top 10 finalists have been decided. And for the next two weeks, we'll bring you a look at each one. Today, we hear from Raul Farsi with the startup company Skyview Solutions in Cameroon. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big business is watching and ready to support. Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, 
the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. My name is Raul Fossi. I'm 37 years old, and I'm the founder of a young startup company called Skyview Solutions, based in Douala in Cameroon. We applied to the 2022 African Digital Innovation Competition because we hope that through the competition, we can get the visibility necessary to attract us additional resources, both intellectual and financial, to help us develop the next phases of our application and also help us scale across Africa. To be one of the top 10 finalists of the competition is a huge honor, especially for such a young team. But it's also a big pride for our country, Cameroon. And it is, in addition to that, it's validation um, of our solution and confirmation that we're headed in the right direction. Also, it's confirmation that with a little bit of courage and a lot of determination, we can accomplish great things. Our solution is a very simple application that makes it possible for anybody, private business, uh, contractor building a home or a business anywhere around the world to access their building remotely as if they're actually there physically and be able to, to appreciate progress over time from a visual standpoint and a quantitative standpoint um, and giving them understanding of exactly what's being done on their job site over time and what resources have been used over time. The biggest impact that a solution will have on a society as a whole is that it would significantly reduce the costs of construction in our communities by 5 to 10%. It would do so by reducing the amount of waste, both in time and resources experienced by most construction owners and construction managers currently in our environment. If we win the competition, I'll be extremely happy for my young team. In three years of entrepreneurship, one thing I've learned is that success is really less in the destination and more in the journey. So rather than focus on the future of what I would do, I choose to celebrate the present and the fact that we indeed have been selected among the top 10 um, companies, young companies in the continent. That was Raul Farsi with the startup company Skyview Solutions in Cameroon. The company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for Africa Startups, organized by the U.S. Africa Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with the Beach Soccer Africa Cup of Nations Mozambique 2022. The tournament will kick off on Friday, the 21st of October 2022 in Vilanculo, the holiday resort town in Mozambique. Egypt, Madagascar, Senegal, Malawi, Morocco, Uganda and host Mozambique are the participating countries. Uganda's beach soccer team are making their second appearance and Angelo Shirinzi, head coach of the Sand Beach Cranes says they will be looking to improve on their fourth place finish at last year's edition. I'm pretty confident. Um, listen, we have now more confidence with playing the ball. It's the 
the, the game is more technical. We have more quality in the game. And, you know, each day we train on a high level. We have more confidence and we can improve our game. Senegal is the defending champions, having won its trophy last year in Sali, Portugal. Now to the 2022 FIFA Under-17 Women's World Cup, where the continent has had a good showing. Out of the three representatives, two will compete for a place in the last four of the competition. The Flamingos of Nigeria lead the park, qualifying for its fourth quarterfinals at the tournament. Head coach of the Flamingos, Bankole Oluwakere, has expressed optimism that Nigeria's under 17 women's team, the Flamingos, are motivated enough to beat their United States of America counterparts at the quarterfinals when they meet on Friday. So, confidently, we are working everything humanly possible out for us to win tomorrow's match. That can take us to the final stage, and uh, that's what the engineers are expecting of us. Debuton. Tanzania having a dream debut experience at the tournament. Tanzania will face Colombia in their quarterfinals of the competition. After a heavy 4-0 drubbing in the hands of Japan, they came back strong to defeat 2012 champions France 2-1. While Veronica Mapunda was a heroine for the East African side as they struck the equalizer in their 1-1 draw with Canada in their final group match, a result that took them to the last four. Staying with women football, five-time African player of the year, Assisiat Oshola scored two goals and set up two more to help Barcelona to a close Club record 9-0 win over Benfica in the Women's Champions League played on Wednesday. The 28-year-old Nigerian international set up Patricia Guinjaro and Aitana Bomati early on before netting twice, including a superb long-range strike as last season's beaten finalists started their campaign in emphatic style. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, October 21st edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton, Washington, wishing you will have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday morning.